Hello, and welcome to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I am your host, Andrew Crosby, for this uh, still newish film and entertainment industry podcast. Uh, once again, please make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic. Uh, you can watch full episodes of my podcast on YouTube, the Sidekick Critic Podcast, or you can listen on Spotify. Um, I'm really excited for today's episode. I'm really excited. Uh, this Sunday is the 95th Oscars, so I'm going to start the episode talking about the Oscars and giving some of my predictions, and then I'm going to talk about the movie I just saw, which I am really excited for, Creed Three. I had initially intended for this to be a full Oscars episode, but I loved Creed so much that I am splitting, cutting short my Oscars episode and am giving Creed half the episode here. Uh, I may still do a full Oscars special after the show, but for now we're going to do a little uh, half show where I give some predictions. Okay, so... Uh, the Oscars, uh, it's the Academy Awards, the 95th year of the awards this year. Um, it's presented, it's an annual award show for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And that's an organization that uh, helps oversee and attempt to further the motion picture industry. Uh, they award these awards every year and there's typically a big six and that's going to be what I submit my Big six as in big six awards that are most talked about and more sought after. And I'm going to submit my prediction for those as one as, as well as one extra that I just want to talk about a little bit. The one extra is going to be the animated feature film. Uh, there's one specific movie I'm really excited to talk about. And then the big six are as follows. Best director, supporting actor, and supporting actress. Uh, then actor and actress in a lead role and then best picture so those are the big six plus animated feature uh i'm gonna dive right in the nominees for animated feature are guillermo del toro's pinocchio marcel the shell with shoes on puss in boots uh oh missing one here oh the sea beast and turning red uh brain short circuit a little bit but um so of those i think the uh, runaway that's going to be a winner that everyone's predicting is Guillermo del Toro's P Pinocchio. It's already won Best Animated Feature at the Producers Guild Award, the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, and the Critics' Choice Awards. So it's almost a foregone conclusion that's going to win. But I'm still going to pick Marcel Deschamps' Shoes On because that was one of my top five movies of last year. Um, it follows this shell who's looking for his family. Um, and the, uh, the only family member still left with Marcel is his grandmother. And the grandmother is very old, uh, very forgetful, has some injuries. And it was very reminiscent of my grandmother, who recently passed away, who I love dearly, and uh, also had some injuries and uh, had Alzheimer's. And I cried, teared up, and had some tears multiple times during that movie because it really hit home. And it's... The movie is made with tons of love. You can feel it. And it's just, I highly recommend anyone watch that movie. If you love your grandmother, watch that movie. It's, like I said, one of my top five from last year. I, I don't think it's going to win, but it's I'm predicting it as my pick for best animated feature because I just loved it so much. And I'd love to see it somehow pull off an upset in this category. 
Um, now we're going to go on to those big six I talked about. Uh, first up is going to be Best Director. Uh, nominated in this category are Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, Ruben Ostlund for Triangle of Sadness, and Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheiner. Uh, I'm just going to call them the Daniels, as even their own movie does, for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I saw five of those films. Everything but The Fablemans. Fablemans, Steven Spielberg has a great chance to win. The Academy loves him. Uh, he already won Golden Globe for Best Director for The Fablemans. Uh, one of the most famous directors of all time. Jaws, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones. Um, very solid chance he wins it. But my pick is going to go to The Daniels for Everything Ever All at Once. Uh Every once in a while, there's a movie that just sweeps at the Academy Awards and wins 10-plus awards. I really think Everything Everywhere All at Once from A24 has a solid chance to win over 10 awards. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many they're nominated for right now, but the it's in my top five from last year. So is Banshees. Martin McDonough did a great job in Banshees. That was my top movie. Everything Everywhere All at Once was number two. But I think they're going to win for Best Director. There's so much going on in that movie. It's a very interesting premise. And I would love to see them win. Um, so, one prediction down. We're going to go on next to Actress in a Supporting Role. Uh, we're starting with Actress because I'm recording this on International Women's Day. So, shout out to all the lovely women in my life. The nominees for Actress in a Supporting Role are Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow in The Whale, Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Sue in Everything Everywhere All at Once as well. Uh, so uh, I'm looking as I'm making my predictions. I'm looking at a few other award shows. I'm looking at the BAFTAs, which is the British Academy of Film and TV Arts, the Critics Choice Awards, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, Screen Actors Guild and the Producers Guild of America Awards. Also the Golden Globe Awards. Uh, those are kind of some of the most prestigious awards and the ones you'll hear about the most. There are countless other award shows, different publications and unions and groups put on award shows, but these six are the primary ones that you will hear about the most. Angela Bassett has won a Golden Globe for her role in Black Panther and won a Critics' Choice Award. And she's incredible. Um, and I, she's my prediction to win. I fully expect her to win. I think she'll be the first uh, acting win in the MCU, and she'll be the fourth Academy Award win for the MCU overall. The other movie to win, Black Panther won three Academy Awards for costume, score, and production design. So I think this will be huge for the MCU if they can get their shit together. In the next two years, um, I think they have a solid chance to put out some more acting awards and uh, more nominations, possibly win. And I, I don't think they'll ever win a Best Picture, unfortunately. Uh, I think Endgame should have won Best Picture, and it didn't. So if that didn't, I don't know how they'll be able to top that. That's one of my top five movies of all time. So, But actress in a supporting role, I'm picking Angela Bassett. She was incredible in this movie. I did love that movie. It did make it into my top 10 last year. Um, all 
the movies that the actresses are in from this category. The Whale, Banshee's Men of Sharon, Everything Everywhere. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once and Black Panther Wakanda Forever. All five of those, four of those movies were in my top ten. So all outstanding performances from all these women. But I do believe Angela Bassett, the tide is going with her. I think she's going to win for uh, actress in a supporting role. As for actor in a supporting role, I think this is almost a no contest. The nominees are Brendan Gleeson from The Banshees of Sharon, who you may know as Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies, Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway, Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans, Barry Keegan in The Banshees of Sharon, and Ki-Hu Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. My prediction is Ki-Hu Kwan, Everything Everywhere All at Once is going to win multiple awards on Sunday night, and he's going to be a big one. Without realizing it, you may know him from The Goonies and Indiana Jones, and I highly suggest everyone watch. There was an actor's roundtable, I believe it was the Hollywood Foreign Press put it on, with Ki-Hu Kwan, Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler, Austin Butler, and Colin Farrell, and it is was an amazing hour of them talking. And he was talking about how uh, Steven Spielberg gave him his shot with Indiana Jones and he had the Goonies. And then for years, he struggled to find work in Hollywood. And he just, you haven't seen him much and he hasn't worked in much. And he had nearly given up on, on his dream when he got this role in Everything Everywhere All at Once, courtesy of the Daniels. And he was amazing in that film. Uh, he plays the husband and it was just a stellar performance. And he's more than deserving. He's already won the Screen Actors Guild Award, which is some actors may say that is their most prestigious award because because it is awarded amongst their peers. It is the Screen Actors Guild is an actors union. He won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor in a Musical or Comedy, and he won the Critics Choice Award. And I have no issues with that. It's he's my pick because he deserves it, and it's. We, everyone loves a feel-good story, and this is a comeback story and a feel-good story that it just makes sense for him to cap it all off with an Academy Award. And there's a couple, specifically one other feel-good story this year that I will touch on a little bit later, but I am so excited to hopefully see Kihu Kwan win. He's given some great speeches. You can feel the emotion, and he's just so genuine in his speeches. And it means so much to him to be in this place in his life. So I hope to see him win on Sunday for actor in a supporting role. Once again, leading off with the women, we're going to look at actress in a leading role. Uh, The nominees are Kate Blanchett for her role as Lydia Tarr in Tarr, Ana de Armas for playing Marilyn Monroe in Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think this is a two-horse race. It's going to come down to Kate Blanchett in Tar and Michelle Yeoh in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. For months prior to the release of Tar, because it came out at, I think it was uh, Telluride International Film Festival, everyone was talking about how Kate Blanchett deserves to be win the Academy Award for Actress in a Leading Role. Uh, she's been the runaway favorite for months now, and she's... She won a Golden Globe. She won the BAFTA. She won the Critic Choice Award for her role there. But Michelle Yeoh has picked up steam. She's the lead character in everything, everywhere, all at once. She's the mother. The emotion she brings out 
in that film is incredible in what is a truly incredible film. And this is a very tough choice for the Academy, I believe, because you have Kate Blanchett in what was the best character study of the year last year, possibly, playing Lydia Tarr, an extremely successful composer, following her downfall. And you have to watch Kate Blanchett go through this. And it's truly spectacular the way she's able to portray that. And there's a reason why she was labeled as a runway favorite for this award, but I'm going to pick Michelle Yeoh. Like I said earlier, I just think everything, everywhere, all at once is going to run away with so many awards. And I think Michelle Yeoh Yeoh will pull off an upset because of that. And I'd be delighted to see her win. Uh, My number two movie of the year winning multiple awards. I've already picked them in three of the two, four, five categories I've gone through so far. It wouldn't surprise me. So Michelle Yeoh, actress in leading role. Onto actor in a leading role, the nominees are Austin Butler in Elvis, Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inna Sharon, Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Paul Mescal in After Sun, and Bill Nye in Living. I may have pronounced Bill Nye wrong because I'm thinking Bill Nye the Science Guy, but this is what I believe to be a three-horse race, and I think all three of them have a really solid chance to win, and it's a tough pick. You have Austin Butler's Elvis. He won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Drama. And he won the BAFTA for Lead Actor. You have Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inna Sharon, who won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. And then you have Brendan Fraser, who won the Screen Actors Guild Award and the Critic Choice Award. The Academy has given awards to actors playing a musician in a biopic before. Rami Malek won for his portrayal of Freddie Mercury. So there's a solid chance, and he's picked up a lot of steam as the nominees came out and as award season has progressed to win this award. Colin Farrell also won a Golden Globe, which is usually a pretty decent precursor. Colin Farrell is great in The Banshees of Inna Sharon. As I said, it's one of my favorite movies last year. Being the lead character in that film, they're going to have a solid chance to win. And then you have... Brendan Fraser, who is the other feel-good story of the Academy this year. This man was blacklisted in Hollywood. He stepped. He was blacklisted and he stepped away because he was unhappy. There was conflict and you didn't see him for years. After he was shaping up to be one of the premier movie stars in the late 90s, early 2000s. I loved the Mummy, mummy movies. I loved him in Looney Tunes Back in Action. So seeing Brendan Fraser return, he's a very genuine man. He's very kind. He is blown away with the support he's getting from his role in The Whale. He's my pick to win. I think he is the best feel-good story of this award season, and I want to see him take home the Academy Award to cap that off as Kihu Kwan hopefully does. I, The Whale is one of the most visceral movies I've ever seen. It's about this man trying to reconnect with his daughter, but he has and eating disorder and he's been slowly killing himself by overconsumption and it's just it's hard to sit through at times that movie but it's a testament to how good it is and it's a testament to how great brendan fraser is in it so finally best picture the big one uh best picture has 10 nominees uh they opened it up a few years ago and those nominees are as follows all quiet on the western front 
Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. As of right now, I've seen 7 out of 10 of those movies. Um, this is a close race. There are countless movies, not countless of course, but there are multiple movies that can win. And I think it comes down to really four overall. The Fablemans, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. The true dark horse of the category, before I touch on those, is All Quiet on the Western Front. It's almost a locked win, best international feature. Uh, and it can go the way Roma went a few years ago of winning best international feature and best picture as a Netflix film. I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. I truly believe it's going to go to everything everywhere all at once. That's been the theme of this discussion here, that everything everywhere all at once, I believe it's going to sweep multiple awards and just be the big winner of the night, and that's great. I love A24 films. I think this is one of their best, and I want to see them get that recognition and continue to put out more and more movies that are just such a high quality. And some of them are hard to watch. They're such quality movies that it's hard to sit through but not every movie has to be fun and just be a good time and a laugh some movies can be hard to sit through and can make you think and really look inwards and leave you uncomfortable and sometimes that's the mark of a great movie and the whale is a24 that's one of those everything everywhere all at once is one that really makes you think it hits both sides that it makes you think it has a lot of deep meanings but it's also a lot of fun I highly suggest everyone go watch Everything Everywhere All at Once. As much as I want The Banshees of Inisherin to win, as that was my top movie last year, I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is the best movie. And one day maybe I'll touch upon my distinction between uh, my favorite and the best, but I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is the best, and I think it'll win. Um, as I said, the Oscars are this Sunday, so I hope you're watching. I'll be watching. And that's kind of my Oscars prediction there. Uh, I'm thinking afterwards I might do a full recap where I focus on some of the smaller awards and talk about the sidekicks as they get the recognition that they deserve at the Academy Awards and get to give their speech and win their awards. Um, but for now, that's enough of the Oscars today because I want to talk about a, diff a movie I just saw. I Like I said, I planned on doing this as a full Oscars episode, but... I had to change my plans because of how excited I was about this movie. Last night I went and saw Creed 3. And spoiler alert, it is currently my favorite movie of the year. Just recorded my 2023 movies ranked so far. Just posted it. I hope you listened. Uh, Knock at the Cabin was my number one. And the first movie I see after I record that... Knock the Cabins knocked out of the number one spot. Creed 3, I loved it. So we're going to launch right into it with my one-minute review of Creed 3. A stellar movie. Uh, the best of the Creed trilogy so far. I recently watched the uh, first two, having never seen them. And this is, hands down, the best of the three. It's Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, and he does an amazing job directing this film uh starring jonathan majors michael b jordan tessa thompson um 
there's so many things that are done well in this movie. I'm really excited to touch on them specifically, but it's the fight scenes, uh, Michael B. Jordan's influences that he's talked about, um, a quality antagonist. Um, the fight sequences really are outstanding. The music, I think, was fantastic, paying homage to certain heritage and locations. I think everyone should go see this movie. You don't have to have watched the first two Creeds to enjoy this. I'll tell you that straight up. It it can be it, it would be a amazing standalone movie. Creed three nine out of ten, my favorite movie of the year so far. Okay, so I'm doing things a little different for this movie because I'm so excited about it. I kind of just need to keep talking about it without breaking things so much into segments. Um, and we'll say what got me so excited about this movie, because I was really looking forward to it, is one of my most anticipated movies this year, at least in the first half, was the trailer. The trailer was incredible. Um, I remember seeing it in the theaters, and I looked to my fiance and Anastasia, who I go to most of the movies with. I might have been with my friend Danny as well, and I gave two thumbs up, because I was like, yes, I am ready for this. Two thumbs up, having not seen the t- previous two Creed movies. It's a clinic on how to make a trailer that interest you without giving a ton away um i also love the cast uh jonathan majors is a recent addition to actors that i love um i knew he was going to be a huge part of marvel going forward after seeing him in loki Uh, then he was an ant-man of course michael b jordan was an ant-man in the creed movies previously and i'd always just liked him whenever i'd seen him and then you have tessa thompson who was in thor and westworld and I love Tessa Thompson. I think she's incredible in Westworld. She, season two of Westworld, there's a twist at the end, which looking back on it after and on my rewatch, I'm like, wow, she knocked it out of the park. And then season three, her character is so conflicted. It's it's a shame Westworld was canceled. I understand the story got a little messy and choppy, but the acting performances in that show are worth it alone. It is some of the best acting I've seen in TV, period. Um, but this isn't a discussion about Tessa Thompson. This is a discussion about Creed three. Um, usually I go into flops, but I don't really care for flops in this movie because it was so well done to me. It's the only thing I can think of is you didn't see the previous Creed three, previous two Creed movies. So you're not going to watch this. That's malarkey, in my opinion. Go see this, whether you've seen Creed 1 or two, one and 2 or not. It's worth watching. I'm going to do by the numbers at the end because I'm just really, really excited to talk about this movie and go right into an in-depth review. Um, like I said, my favorite movie of the year so far, the first thing I need to touch on is Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. Um It's a very tricky field for an actor to transition into directing and not only make that transition, but also to direct a movie they are starring in. And he pulls them both off excellently. You can feel his influence in the movie. It is very different than the first two Creed movies. There's an opening scene and then the Creed title shows up after a couple minutes, maybe five minutes at most in the film. And I remember I leaned over to my fiance and said, this is already better than the first two. I liked the first Creed film a lot. 
The second Creed film, the two of us laughed while watching it at home at times because we thought it was very corny and unrealistic. And this film solved those problems, especially with the dialogue. Um, there's really there are some small aspects of it that I felt really entranced you in it and made it real. And one specifically that I remember during the movie, I noticed it and I was like, wow, this is world's better was Adonis Creed played by Michael B. Jordan and Damian Anderson, estranged friends. Uh, they, uh, Damian meets up with Creed and they go out to dinner and there's just a lingering shot of the two of them sitting down at dinner. They get their food, they get their drinks and they do what everyone does when they're opening a straw you tap it on the table a bit and they just laugh as they look at each other do this as these friends are reconnecting and there's something about that that's just so real it's the little moments like that that make the movie feel real and it's a testament to what michael b jordan was able to do and i saw a producer uh commenting in a reddit thread on this film about how early on there's um I'm going to try to do this without any spoilers, but there's a fight, the final fight sequence, there's a part of it where it pulls back. It's at Dodger Stadium, but it pulls back and you see more of, well, the crowd's gone. It's just the two fighters, these two estranged, estranged friends consider themselves brothers. It's just them fighting in the ring in an empty stadium, solving their issues, hashing it out. And it's it's something that Michael B. Jordan knew he wanted to do going into the film. Some producers questioned it. They didn't think it would be right or work. But as it unraveled and it was filmed and it came together, this producer says, I'm so happy to admit I was wrong. Because it is the... What's the word I'm looking for? The pinnacle of this film. It is the moment where I'm like... I remember in the theater, I was like, wow, this is different. It's unique. And it is so expertly done. It shows you that it's not about all the fame and the fortune and everything else surrounding the fight. It's about these two solving their personal issues together the way they know how, which is fighting. And there's other aspects that I believe are heavily influenced by Michael B. Jordan's directorial style that I think are done really well. Um, specifically... I want to talk about the fight sequences. Um, in press interviews and as he talks about the movie, he has said how one of his major influences in life and for this film was anime. And there are millions of people that feel that way. I have friends who recommend animes to me and ask if I want to see anime movies constantly. And while I've never been huge on it, I have seen some animes and I watched all of Dragon Ball. I loved that growing up. And I've tried watching a few others here and there. And it's very noticeable. There's one, for example, there's one shot during a fight sequence where uh, Adonis gets punched in the gut extremely hard and it's done, I can almost visualize it from a uh, Dragon Ball scene where a character's punched in the stomach and it goes slow-mo and you see the fist almost envelop into their stomach and spit come flying out of their mouth. There's these slow-mo shots of Someone gets hit and sweat flies, not off their face, but off their back, just from the reverberation of how hard that hit was. Or the two of them punch and they hit each other in the face at the same time. And it kind of just lingers for half a second to a second on them frozen, punched at the same time with each other. 
And it's those kind of things where going into the movie, I was not aware that Michael B. Jordan was so heavily influenced by anime. Hearing it after, it just came flooding into my mind of all these examples where I was like, wow, that is influenced by anime. And the ability to take anime ideas and tropes isn't the word I want to use, but uh, things you often see in anime and translate that into live action in a way that I didn't think it was corny or dumb. I was like, wow, this is unique. It's very well done. Is such a tough thing to master. There are tons of animes that have been turned into live action that have failed because it's so hard to do. And it's a it comes down to the director and telling the actors how to portray that. And of course, for Michael B. Jordan being the director and playing, he has kind of a leg up there because he knows what he wants it to be and he's able to film it and see the rough cut of it and be like, okay, I need to redo this or redo that or change that. But it's not just the direction, it's the idea to do it. Like multiple times throughout the film, there's moments where as a fight sequence is unfolding, you see one fighter, every once in a while, a punch is thrown, a punch is blocked or dodged or they're bouncing around each other that the fighter starts to notice some weaknesses. And it's the perfect example of show, don't tell because they're not telling you where an anime might say or a comic book might have like a thought bubble or might hear the character think or an onlooker says like, oh, he's doing this. This is his weakness. So you, the viewer, know that weakness too and can expect that exploitation to come. You just see half a second shot, a two second shot of it zooming on the eyes and then it zooms in on his side and a muscle twitching or a sore arm or something where you know this fighter has found their weakness. They've found the hole to exploit in the fight to make the difference. And that's... It's just... Every once in a while, I have a moment where I say, wow, this is well-directed. And I think during the movie, this is so well done, and this is one of those where that happened. Blown away. Absolutely blown away. And then there's also the homage that the movie pays to multiple heritage heritages and it's the area where it takes place there's a fighter felix chavez whose intro is laden with mexican heritage i believe it's either a sugar skull or a tiger mask that the person in front of the fighters coming out with and smoke of green and white and red and it's i i was it was the one of the coolest scenes in the movie because and it's an intro it's a walk-in like the ability to make something like that so cool and one of the coolest scenes, even though the rest of the movie is great, it's why this movie is standing so brightly in my mind and why I'm really excited to rewatch it. I actually thought in the movie in the during the movie, like, wow, I'm excited to rewatch this, which is something I can honestly say I've said maybe about two movies ever outside of Marvel. And I don't mean rewatch at home. All movies I want to rewatch at home. I mean rewatch in theaters because the theater experience was that good. Uh, if it's still available, try to go see this in Dolby or IMAX because it is beautifully shot. The cinematography in the is stellar. It's the best of the Creed movies so far. And I I also have to touch upon I've talked for quite a while about Michael B. Jordan and his directorial skills in this film as his first film, but 
part of the credit for this movie has to go to another cast member, Jonathan Majors, as Damien Anderson. What a unique and relatable and exciting antagonist he portrayed. It's essentially him and Adonis were friends when much younger and something happens and Damien has to go to jail, goes to jail for 18 years. He was about to start what looked to be a very, very promising boxing career and he goes to prison for 18 years and loses that part of his life. And as he gets out, he feels Adonis, who now has had the life he thought he was going to, is the undisputed champ, has a gorgeous wife, a nice family, beautiful home, um, his own gym. He feels Adonis stole his life, that he didn't earn it being Adonis Creed, son of Apollo Creed from the Rocky movies, he didn't earn it, it was given to him. Versus Damien was going to earn it. He was going to earn his shot, come out of the Crenshaw district, and really be everything in the boxing world. And he lost that. And part of the reason he thinks he lost that is because of Adonis. So those struggles and feeling that way is something anyone can relate to. It's envy of someone else that doesn't deserve it but you have nothing else to feel but envy in this moment and then it's not just the envy he portrays well but you can see the sadness and the loss of almost two decades of your life it's something that can be hard to portray the effect prison can have on people and this man shows it it's the time he lost and it's not just the time he lost it's he's trying to get his shot and earn it and he's the dichotomy of these two people who start in the same spot. Adonis Creed now has a gorgeous house out in Beverly Hills, has a beautiful wife, a beautiful daughter, all the money, his own gym to train in, people who he employs, money, trophies, the perfect life, the life Damien wanted, versus Damien now out of prison is in a small studio apartment. He's washing his socks in a sink. He's working out in this small studio doing push-ups on the ground, lifting weights there, doing everything he can. It's It does a great job of showing that effect and showing the difference that one small thing can make in your life and how that changes who you are as a person. And it's not just that. Because he feels his life is was stolen from him, because he's out of prison now and is dealing with the side effects of that, he gets this feeling that it's his only shot. He he won't get another chance. He's in his 30s, late 30s. He has to make it work right now or it'll never work for him. He'll never realize his dream. He'll never do what he wants to. So that urgency, and it's not a desire to win as most fighters have. It's a need. He has to do it right now. I rooted for Creed during this movie, but I was not rooting against Damian Anderson diamond dame as he's called because i could understand where that character is coming from and why there's a part of you that wants that character to win because he lost a shot and it's nice to see a second chance an underdog get their shot again that's jonathan majors it's why i was excited for him this movie and is why i loved him in this movie i think he put in the best acting performance of the film i mean there's not much more that can be said. I'm, he's everywhere right now, and I'm excited to see what looks to be a fun few years of Jonathan Majors as he's in a bunch of Marvel movies, and this gets even more critically acclaimed and more and more people talk about it. 
the last thing I feel the need to touch on in my in-depth review here is the daughter of Adonis Creed and Bianca is Amara Creed. And Bianca, in the first Creed movie, you find out she has a uh, uh, degenerative hearing disease. And as they have a daughter in the second, the daughter also has it and does not have hearing. And while Bianca has hearing aids and is able to talk with Creed and with brief moments of sign language, their daughter Amara does not. And they fully sign with her throughout the whole movie. And there are subtitles for that. And it's the ability to implement sign language in a movie such as this, a fast-paced action movie, and have the sign language flow with it. It's so well done. I mean, it's there's a scene where Dame meets the daughter, and Dame doesn't know she's deaf and says hello, and they start signing. And you have Adonis Creed teaching his friend how to sign to his daughter, and you can see the happiness on that daughter's face as she starts to realize that this man she's never met that knows her father is trying to include her and be a part of her world by quickly learning a couple signs to just say, hello, how are you? And it's a great acknowledgement of the deaf community. We love when movies make those acknowledgements without making them corny. It's so perfectly done in a way that is natural within the flow of the movie and with the character arcs and with what they're struggling with throughout and who they are i i can't say enough good things and i saw an interview of the cast talking about it how all of them learned sign language throughout the filming of this movie because mila davis kent who plays amara is deaf in real life so they're learning sign language so they can communicate with her outside of her interpreter. So they can have it be more natural with her in the film instead of just memorizing sign signs to give. They're learning sign language actually, so it's a skill that they can have in life. And that's an important skill to have in life, I think. I think I should make an effort to learn sign language because it's just a nice thing to do. I, I, I would like to be someone who knows not just English, but knows is fluent in another language and possibly sign language so that I can uh, converse with people more easily and across all walks of life. I'm going to go in, because I'm talking about the sign language and Mila Davis-Kent, the sidekick of the flick is Mila Davis-Kent, hands down. She is 10 years old. This is her debut film, her debut acting role, and she's deaf. And... I, I fell in love with the daughter in this movie. She was adorable. The emotion she was able to portray and the she had character progression throughout the film from hiding certain things from her parents and trying to be like her father, the famous world champion boxer, to by the end learning boxing and fighting with him and signing that throughout. And just little cues like that. It's so impressive for a 10-year-old to be in a major blockbuster film like this and hold her own with the likes of Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Jonathan Majors, it's no question. It is was never a question in my mind as the movie started and you learned Amara Creed does sign language that she was deserving of the sidekick of the flick for this film. I'm very excited to see her more. I'm very excited to see deaf actors get more opportunities and roles. I don't think sign language and a deaf actor and having to put that on the screen is a uh, detracts from a movie in any way. In this movie, it actively added to it. 
The subtitles were well done. They weren't intrusive. That's what I hope to see in a movie that features sign language so heavenly. So heavily. The Eternals did it in the MCU with one of their characters adding sign language in. And it's nice to see. We don't need every movie to be like that, of course, because that's not what life's like. But it's nice to acknowledge deaf people and say, hey, these people are exist. They're real and Learning sign language is a valuable skill to have in life. And there's a deaf school, and they include how that's a thing. There are deaf schools in the real world, and people who, Donna Screed, who talks. He can hear, he can talk. He's talking with a teacher at this school, and he tries to talk, but his wife and the teacher are like, we sign here. It's important for the kids to see signing is normal. That's what you have to do sometimes. And he struggles through it, and it is a struggle for someone that can hear to have that second nature of sometimes you have to sign and not talk, but he's a character that's learning and getting better and becoming a better father, husband, and man. It's, I mean, I've been raving about this movie this whole time because it's my favorite movie of the year so far. I truly believe it'll stay in my top five at the end of the year. That's hard, hard thing to say and predict in early March, but that's how much I loved this movie genuinely. And I think it's going to be successful. When you're looking at it by the numbers, the opening weekend, it's already done. It's opening weekend. It did $58.4 million. That blows both Creed 1 and 2 out of the water, which did 29 and $35 million respectively. Those had very good legs and long runs. The first Creed finished at $173 million. The second Creed finished at two thirteen. Not even a full week into showings, this movie's at $105 million. This is going to be a huge runaway success for Michael B. Jordan. I don't know what it's going to mean for his future as a director. Um, It means for Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, they're going to continue to get huge lead acting roles as they're in very successful films. Jonathan Majors and Ant-Man, Michael B. Jordan and Black Panther were are successful films. Yes, Ant-Man probably should have done better in the eyes of some, but it's... Still a success and a story, so they're going to get good roles. And what is Michael B. Jordan going to do next? I'm so excited to see. I don't know if I've ever been this excited about seeing what someone is going to direct next. That's the highest praise I can possibly give to him. If I wasn't the sidekick critic and I just awarded a best of every movie, there's no doubt in my mind it'd go to him. And not for his acting. He acted incredible in this. It's the best he's acted in the Marvel... Not the Marvel movies. He's acted incredible in this. It's the best he's acted in the Creed movies yet. And that's not even his best role in the making of this movie. It's as a director. Please, go watch Creed 3. I think you're going to love it. I loved it. I was with my friend Anastasia and my fiance Abigail. We all loved it. We were so invested in the movie. My fiance fell asleep during the second Creed movie as we watched it at home. We saw a late 9 p.m. showing. As we left, she said, I'm excited to take my movie nap as some movies she'll go see. She doesn't care about too much, so she'll take a little snooze during it for 30 minutes. She didn't just not sleep. At one point in the movie, she involuntarily clapped because she was so excited and invested. Someone expecting to sleep clapped at a movie, and we're not movie clappers. If you think you won't love it, I think you will. Regardless of what you've seen, go watch 
Creed 3. It'll be in theaters for a while. My favorite movie of 2023 so far. Like I said earlier, 9 out of 10. Highest rated movie I've seen in a very long time. That's what I have to say for Creed 3, and that's my predictions for the Oscars, as I gave at the top of this episode. Um, I hope you watch the Oscars this weekend, this Sunday. It's hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. I believe it's at 8 p.m. on ABC. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel's a great host. He's a funny guy. I'm excited for that. I won't be watching at home because in Tampa, there's a uh, classical theater that hosts an an Academy Awards night. And I'm going to be dressed up. I'm going to be going there. I'll be posting about it, letting you know how it is, having the time of my life. I wanted to go last year, but the tickets were sold out, so I couldn't. This year, I bought the tickets early, and I can't wait. And thank you for stopping by. Uh, I hope you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic. I hope you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. And I can't wait to see you next time and talk about whether it's the next movie I've seen or whether it's the Oscars again because they just wrapped up. I can't wait. I'm loving talking about movies with you and hearing what you have to say about what I have to say. So please keep messaging me. Let me know what you think. Let me know if there's a movie you saw that you want me to watch. As always, follow me, subscribe, like, listen, download. And I can't wait to see you next time. My name is Andrew Crosby, and thank you for joining me on the Sidekick Critic Podcast. Peace.